0: I don't like the free text fields. Uh, they don't provide me with any value. When it comes to data, it probably provides some value in like telling a story, but stories are to be read by people. It's not to be read by machines, I think, sometimes. Welcome to another episode of A
1: Slice of SaaS. I'm your host, Andreas Kongstad, and today we are diving into the nitty gritty of data cleanup and enrichment with Memories Head of Revenue Operations, Andreas. Memory's first product is an AI-powered automatic time tracking and planning tool called Timely, and Andreas will be sharing his insights on the challenges of managing messy data, the importance of manual enrichment, and the role of audits in streamlining operations. So if you're looking to understand the complexities of data management, optimizing your tech stack, and driving growth, this episode is one you definitely want to check out. So let's get started. So Andreas, you've described yourself as being the cleanup guy within uh, revenue operations. So what's up with that that role description?
0: <laughs> it's quite funny. I guess the cleanup guy refers to just me coming into businesses and going over everything and making sure that I clean up their mess. You know how it can sometimes be like a bit messy to start a company like a lot of things happen without a plan. It obviously refers to that, but it also refers to data and you know how important data is and how data can sometimes be messy. So it has several meanings. Sometimes uh, be messy or always be messy. <laughs> <Okay>. Always be <laughs> messy. I think the biggest lie ever is that you have something called clean data. You know, especially for companies, there's always some 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 data that is never clean. I guess that's what uh, what I mean about like the cleanup guy. Yeah, because I can definitely see that,
1: like the data and keeping it clean, especially if you have a sales team and a marketing team and getting them to put in the right information and not wanting to delete stuff, I think is
0: also a bit of a challenge. And as a SaaS business, whenever you offer some like a free trial and you obviously, every time you use forms, you, you make someone else, someone like the prospect, submit all the information How do you you keep all that stuff clean as well? Because they can put in whatever they want sometimes. Duplication um, is obviously a problem. Formatting issues. there's, There's a bunch of things in the CRM that's unclean. So how do you deal with, because one thing that
1: I've experienced quite a bit, like when we're trying to work with a company and trying to clean up the data, it's the balance between they want to save everything and they're very afraid of like, deleting data. So when you're trying to go in and do a cleanup, it ends up not really being a cleanup because what if this contact is actually still useful? Uh, so how do you kind of work with that kind of buy-in and making sure you're not deleting too much, but still deleting enough
0: for you to actually get better data quality? Oh, that's a really good question. And it's definitely something I've faced as a challenge. The fact that you know, there's uh, this pushback from deleting uh, old co- contact records From our CRM system, what I usually do is to actually just think about and 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 talk about the value of someone if they haven't talked to us in a while, and also just you know the ability to find opportunities within data. If it's cluttered, it's harder for you to kind of find the diamond in the rough. uh, So why don't get rid of the rough? But it also comes down to like what comes in. Like if you have a very massive data flow, like if you have a lot of signups, if you have a lot of sources where you can get new data, it's also easier to to get someone to approve that you remove a lot of data. And then you have the obvious GDPR rules. It's always nice to take kind of take that into consideration and have regular cleanups as you go as well. That's kind of my go to places of like making sure that we have that we have the the, the contacts that we need. Uh, another one could be cost. I know that there's software that, out there that, like, you know, increased quantities of data also means increased cost. So then it's a real ROI equation. Do we get our money's worth if we pay for this capacity? Yeah, that's basically my go tos. Yeah, definitely like the HubSpot marketing contacts. We actually <laughs> have exactly. one recently
1: where we just saved, like, I mean, it's everything is money, like a dollar is a dollar or a euro is a euro. Uh, so we're yeah, just like removing some marketing contacts, you know. Saving a thousand bucks all of a sudden, like that's not too horrible if it's people that actually don't even want to talk to you anymore, or they
0: were a contact five years ago. And 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 there's a the thing, right? A lot of people that I work with, they don't think about that. They don't think about the costs associated with like maintaining the contact status, like the marketing contact status of uh, uh, of those contacts over time. And then I, uh, if if you ask the question, are you willing to actually pay X amount of dollars for us to simply try and reach out to these guys? After they've been idle for so long, the answer is usually no. And then I said, like, okay, so what? Why do we keep them? You know, like you're even saying no, you don't want to reach out to them. So that's a really good point.
1: Yeah, I mean, like in in the grand scheme of things, like there needs to be more, I guess, than just saving a few euros here and there. But still, I th- I think it's still it's still a valid point that combined with actually having relevant contacts so you don't waste time digging into people that no longer work at the company that bounced 2 years ago so i think there's a lot of kind of time waste as well yeah we
0: also we also sometimes do a more a calculated approach where we literally just performs like ping tests on uh, existing contact uh, contacts So it comes back and tells us who is actually no longer receiving emails. It could indicate that someone has left the company. That's also very useful to kind of figure out how to get rid of unnecessary capacity from your CRM. Because then if, if the, if the email don't even exist anymore, it's like there is simply zero reason for you to keep that unless there's some data attached to that record, for instance. So, do you
1: also work a lot with? Because, of course, you have the part where you cl- like clean up, as in removing, um, like uh, you know. But there would also be a part where you would actually be able to enrich data. So it's not just about removing stuff, but also potentially adding more. So is that something you're doing? And if so, like, wh- how do you typically
0: do that? So enrichment is a very interesting, inter- interesting topic and something that I've definitely battled with <laughs> for a long time. Uh, again, I would love enrichment to work in all cases. I would say go to go to places that I look for enrichment today would be uh, obviously the HubSpot Insight database. We use that, uh, so the enrichment then comes through through that, and then we have what is it called? Oh my god. So Andreas had to go and do a little bit of research there for
1: us to actually uh, give you the right answer to the tool. So Andreas, are you ready to uh, give us the secret tool that you're using for your data enrichment? Or maybe not that secret anymore. <laughs> no,
0: it's, it's. I don't think it's a big secret either. Like, um, So I guess a very typical tool to use is Clearbit, at least. That's something that we've developed with. Uh, we also use the HubSpot Insight database, and what these tools usually have in common is, is that they 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 all rely on publicly available data, and that publicly available data doesn't always include all the the companies that you want. It doesn't. It usually relies on the domain that someone gives you while they sign up, let's say through a form, and that domain simply might not exist in a database that also has all the other data that you need. So my my. Experience with enrichment that it usually lacks, the stuff that I need. So I need some kind of manual enrichment, and in most cases, enrichment also happens between objects in the CRM. For instance, you might have uh, information about a company that you would like to have on contact. You might have, you know, information about a custom object that you would like on a different object. So. Enrichment for me happens on um, signups and contact creation and that type of stuff, but it also happens across objects as well. And that's where I've tried and kind of always fill in the gaps. And then there's risk involved with doing that as well. Like, can you just assume that just because a company is located at a place that uh, the contact is also located in that place? So that's kind of some of the, some of the things that I've done with enrichment lately that it's a bit challenging. And how do you kind of balance the, the automatic parts and the, the manual
1: bits because of course like you can go in on every single contact and like do your own little Google thing but uh, I guess that's not really a very good like scalable
0: solution in the end so how do you balance that you, you I would say you prioritize you would say like what source is in your mind the most accurate one is it for instance the enrichment tool is it what someone tells you let's say let, let's take something you see as like an industry industry field. Industry is also something that you, is about like, what do I perceive myself as? You know, do I do I provide uh, software for healthcare? Am I then in the software industry, or am I in the healthcare industry? For instance, that could be a challenge. So it also really like it has to go back to like how do you prioritize? What is most important is it what the database you enriched from tells you that this contact is associated with, or is it what they told you, let's say during their sign up that they did, or is it what your sales team actually put into your CRM manually after their first uh, introduction call? You know, that's three different sources of the same data input. But you can then prioritize which one is most important. In case there's like multiple inputs, then you can decide which one kind of wins uh, that battle. And that's the way that I do it. That's kind of like just having that clear prioritization of where you collect the data from. Yeah.
1: And then you also need to balance like the, because you can ask a lot of questions, you can have the sales team answer a lot of questions. But of course, that's not always that easy. Uh, and especially, I think, with free text fields, uh, like having customers and sales trips having free text stuff, that is a recipe for sometimes really interesting stuff, but usually a lot of bad data with not very useful information. Or do you agree oh, with that or not? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I I totally- <laughs>
0: No, 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 no. I I, I don't like the free text fields. They don't provide me with any value. When it comes to data, it probably provides some value in like telling a story. But stories are to be read by people. It's not to be read by machines, I think, sometimes. So especially when it comes to data collection, enrichment it's important to kind of transform that type of, you know, the story that you, you hear from someone into data points. So let's say using a playbook, for instance, is much more valuable than simply Having notes because you can also, you know, have playbooks that where you collect property fields as well. Obviously, now talking very much from a <laughs> upspot context here.
1: So, how do you use like do you mention playbooks here? So, how would you typically use that? I guess from kind of a sales perspective or is it sales service? Is it everything or what would be
0: the typical? Yeah, but I even would you say? I, I use playbooks a lot, actually. Like we, we use playbooks to, you know, after meetings, if you have demos with, with the uh, prospects, they use playbooks to simply enrich uh, contact records as part of, you know, a, a very, very atypical uh, demo. But playbooks is something also me as a head of rev ops use because I can use it to kind of enrich contacts and go through my cleanup structures, having like a specific. Playbook to, to fill in what I need to fill in for someone to be kind of I call it a validation process almost. So because there's a lot of there's a lot of data fields in and CRM that also relies on other data points to be correct calculation properties all that type of stuff. Uh, so an, a playbook for me could be like a sign of something being validated manually by an, a professional uh, versus an enrichment property that came through automatically.
1: So say that, I know this is a very broad question, and uh, it might be kind of a multi-layer thing here, so uh, we can kind of uh, take it step by step. but. Say that I am a scale up, it's starting to get a little bit chaotic and I've started to get complaints from sales that, you know, there is, it's very difficult to get an overview. There's a lot of duplicates. There's a lot of stuff. Marketing is struggling with segmentation and like all that kind of stuff is going on. And you're starting to feel that maybe we need to look into getting control of our data getting control of like our crm in general and the kind of overall data flow like how how would you start because just starting doing that it typically feels like you're just staring at a screen and you're like you don't even know where to begin because it's so many things from cleaning up workflows to uh again from a perspective, perspective so of automation to yeah contact so where do you how how do you approach that how do you approach when you got started in your recent job, for example? Well,
0: it starts off with an audit. An audit mm-hmm. is uh, core and key mm-hmm. to this being successful. So, if you come into a startup, for instance, since that's what you're asking about, is like you map out what, what systems do they use, where do they store data, and where and where does that data come from? I think that's one of the most important starting points for all of this. And then based on your audit, it kind of then starts to paint the picture of the jobs that needs to be done. And it also highlights issues of like, okay, so we don't have that data in that system, but we do have it in another system. How can we then, you know, kind of start fi- figuring out like how to connect the data as well so that people do have the data that they need and that the missing data and other systems get there so we can create that segmentation. But obviously I can I can talk. I, like, I think that also kind of goes into the the question about audits and what's the what's the value of an audit in the first place and typically like my story of like coming into a startup company and like where did I start?
1: I trust you and we're happy to follow along in your
0: journey here Andreas. Okay, great. (laughs) So so coming in like the history there has been like you have a startup you have a billion billion problems and you obviously have a team that tried to solve all of, the, all of them and usually you then solve the problems by purchasing and acquiring new tools that's a very efficient way of getting getting forward and and that's usually what happens. You have a problem, you buy a tool, et cetera, et cetera. And then the problem arises when that stack of tools becomes quite big. And it actually, what was intentionally there to remove friction is suddenly starting to create friction for you to grow, for instance. Uh, and that was very much like a very typical case. I don't think it's like it doesn't necessarily reflect badly on the company. But that was definitely the the fact. So coming in, doing an audit is a really great way of just getting the overview that you need to kind of start and figuring out, like, where do I start? Like, well, this is quite overwhelming. Just figuring, like, what tools does what? Who uses them? And uh, is there any duplicated use cases here? That's a very, very common thing. So I would say... Doing- Duplicated uh,
1: use cases, you mean like two tools doing the same thing, basically? Yeah, Yeah, basically.
0: Because you know these tools nowadays, they have all sorts of, Mm. you know- Everyone want to be all in one. Yeah, well, everyone's going to be all in one all the time, yeah. so that's definitely the case. And also, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, a tool has been with a company for several years, and that tool has expanded, you know, its product offering uh, way outside what you initially thought. So suddenly, that tool can do more than it did three years ago. That's also an important part of this. And also, a part of this, a part of this audit would also be to obviously not only look at what they can do, but also what risk is involved if I want to change this tool. Is there like a cost of changing it? Is there friction in let's say data transfer if you were to kind of move from one tool to to another all this stuff is really really important to kind of document and at the end of the day like what's the what's the estimated return of investment if you actually do change a tool or remove something or, or or that type of stuff. So, like, just
1: pausing there before we continue. Like, how, like, when you say return on investment of those kind of tools, like, are we talking just monetary, or like, what, what kind of a return on investment are, are we looking at here?
0: It has several use cases, uh, or like, several return on investments cases. One of them being. There's a license cost. So, you know, at the end of the day, when will it be profit or when will we earn money if we get rid of something? Because we might have to expand another tool to get those features. But then there's also the cost involved of like changing the tool. Like I said, it might require even external help to do the transfer from one system over to another. Uh, and that cost is also a cost that we need to think about and like you know what's the benefit then of like being in that other tool is it just about streamlining things or does it actually help us sell more or like create more value you know that's also then calculated into this and then in most cases there will be some kind of the, a timeline of like at what point will this be a positive change monetary the company to do the to do the switch. All of those things are cal- it's it should be calculated especially if it's a big system. I mean like if it's a small system it might not even you know just unsubscribe by it it's fine. <laughs> but if it's a big let's say CRM size type of tool you should definitely consider doing these things before you start that journey. Yeah, you probably even have lots of like, for example, if you like marketing tools,
1: there is a lot of unique data for emails and stuff like that yeah. that you can't even transfer over because
0: of like structural differences as well. So if, of course, yeah. it's very it's, hard. Like even records yeah. could be like completely different, uh, configured differently. So it's almost to the point of impossible to to migrate historical data, which is then like, okay, so what does that cost the business if you lose the historical? historical data? Is that even an option at this point? Or do we potentially need to build something custom to store that data so that we don't lose it if we ever were to go back and visit it? Like, That's all the questions that you have to ask before you start a cleanup process like that. Yeah. And then of course you have the cost of like
1: not doing it. So like you, just, you keep on building on a structure that doesn't work. It's not going to be better in three years. If you're keeping on growing, it's going to be way worse. So. I think we're making it sound horrible now to change no. system, <laughs> but it's like no, no, it no. can actually be a
0: really good thing because it might be even worse in a few but I think, years. But I think that's oh, where uh, yeah. I think that's where like a head of revenue operations yeah. come in because a lot of people would be so scared, like you say, of changing something, so they would need to kind of and also it feels really comfortable. oh, this is how we've done it. This is how it it works. If it does work, why should we fix it? That type of mindset also keeps people from from changing, which is a very interesting thing. Another thing that I've personally experienced that is very important when you think about this is that for you to actually go in and talk to people that use the different systems that you have in the business, Um, you need to understand how they use things. Because... Their view of what a tool needs to be is very different from what I need it to be, for instance. And I've experienced that a lot. No, it could be that they there's like simple, small features that I wouldn't even care about from a very like top level, and then they tell you their story. This is something they use on the everyday, and if you remove it, it would take them. So like create a lot of friction for them on an everyday basis. And you can only get that by actually talking to people. So a lot of what I spend my time on is making sure every time I want to do something, I really need to understand my colleagues' stories of how they use tools, not just what the tool does. You know? So the, the use of the tool is also very important. Would you do like 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 actual interviews or forms, or surveys yeah, I know, I know. or a combination or And I will also take them with me on some journeys you know like Mm -hmm. make sure that if i have an idea i present it to them before it's the finalized idea so they also will be a part of like shaping how our tech stack and and how we do things moving forward so yeah i feel like we've kind of like went a little bit away from the enrichment stuff there
1: (laughs) yeah no it's cool we can uh We can stay in that,
0: like this talk right now,
1: because it's, um, I think it's, yeah, it's a little bit of a kind of a, I guess, sidetrack,
0: but uh, I don't think it's an issue. No, and also, is it a sidetrack though? Because I think these things actually very much complement each other one Ah, thing is data but also then you have the the, not just the data part but like where does the data live and some of the things that i've encountered a lot is that data lives in different silos and a lot of my job as a head of revenue operations is to make sure that the data doesn't live in a silo that it actually connects with each other those i think i think tech stack and data really kind of complements each other and like you said you said earlier in this conversation that every tool tries to be an all-in-one tool which also means that every tool now stores a bunch of data. Because to be an all-in-one tool, you need to have some kind of centralized data storage. Uh, you can think about stuff like Intercom is no longer just like an intercom service. It's all types of stuff you can do with Intercom. You have HubSpot, you have Salesforce, you have all these systems, try to be everything. You have all the service systems like Sendisk and just name dropping here. But they all have something in common. They store a huge amount of data. So it means that basically all of them work somewhat as a CRM system. And that means that everyone has their own property fields for country, industry, employees, all that stuff lives in all the different systems. Uh, And that's where we, uh, or I feel like, we stumble into a lot of problems usually that that stuff isn't similar <laughs> across Yeah, systems. also, like, what is the, and that's, I guess, you have a problem with dropdowns, because
1: if the, it's not the exact same phrasing and words, uh, you're going to get errors and
0: things, yeah. right? Yeah, and then, like, they're, they're formatted differently. Like mm-hmm. I said, some of it's just a text field, some is like a dropdown, like, ugh. yeah. So yeah, have- no there there is a there
1: is a reason why like there is tools like HubSpot who is kind of all in one and why they're getting a lot of traction because having a lot of thing in one place for sales services marketing I mean it saves you a bit of headache in in a lot of cases I think instead of uh, cobbling it together.
0: Yeah. But then then the question comes because the reason why a lot of companies have a lot of tools is because Individual, let's say, smaller tools are usually very good at a specific thing. While the big companies like HubSpot usually have, you know, okay, to very good uh, functions and features, uh, functionality, but they usually lack that, like, really cool, almost gimmicky type feature that something else has. And as a startup, and especially a startup within tech, we love gimmicks. We love to kind of have the newest and the coolest tool on the market. Uh, so it's really tempting to just go out there and acquire all these individual tools so we have the coolest AI and the is automation and all that stuff. Yeah, I can guess. No, I, I see that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, have you have you ever experienced the same kind of, oh yeah, that tool is really cool, but
1: you know, so so we've always been very um like I mean since since the get go with with the company we were just full out on on HubSpot. I think we used like so one learning that I've had is it's not always good to have too much in one place because all of a sudden like we tried to just build I think we had 15 custom like 14 custom objects. I think that was actually a structural limitation when we tried we couldn't do more. Uh, or no, we could do more, but the association, anyways, we tried to do too many things in HubSpot because we want to see what was possible. And in the end, you have so much weird data going on and you're kind of losing track of what's actually going on. You have recruitment, you have marketing, you have delivery. And so, so there is also sometimes a good reason to actually keep some stuff separate, at least in some shape or form, and maybe just having it. You, you close one, a customer, send it over to the customer success tool, but actually not having too much. I'm, I'm not saying it's always the case, but we kind of experienced that you can also go too far um, oh, and trying to be too fancy with it. And I think that was something you, I, I like you mentioned um, when we spoken previously, where you talked about, it's not exactly the same, but I really like the saying where you said that uh, you can't clean your house by buying more stuff. Um, And I really think that removing and simplifying, it's just as much as being a cleanup guy. I think RevOps, it's also about, okay, do we really need that? Do we really have to automate exactly everything right now? Can we simplify it first, make sure we have a good baseline? And then, but I think that's really difficult and it's scary. And it's easier to just add something new. And also, as you said, something cool because, you know, it got a really
0: cool feature here. So why not just have that also? And see, see if it works. Yeah. And I think I think that, uh, that part of like, you don't need everything to live in HubSpot. Like, don't get me wrong. I love HubSpot. And a lot of people would probably think that that would be my ultimate goal, would be for everything to be in HubSpot. But I completely agree. I think uh, it's not necessarily about like making everything into one system, but it's kind of sorting out which systems are core, which systems has the right to stay in the organization because it provides a multitude of, of, of benefits. Uh, and at the end of the day, making sure that whatever systems you end up having as your infrastructure, that it talks to each other. That becomes like a very important part, is the communication and interconnection between systems almost more than, uh, than, than features sometimes. Something that we also do a lot as a company is just think about like a SaaS company, like integrations and the in, like how you connect to other things is super important, to like a, uh, like an ecosystem.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a, like a separate, like the integration part. And we do experience that as well. And And sometimes it is really important, but in a lot of cases it's, Especially for like, depending on your size, if you're really small, it might not be as important, but if you get up to volume, of course, it's getting more and more important with, uh, with integrations and, and things like that as well. But yeah, no, it's a really interesting topic. And I think it's something that is coming a lot more in Europe as well with the whole revenue operation and streamlining operations and not just doing more stuff all the time, but actually stopping and thinking a little bit and saying, okay, if we would start over from zero, would we still have all those 200 tools? Uh, knowing what we knew now, or would we remove something? Would we optimize something and do something differently? And if so, maybe we should actually do it now instead of waiting five years when the problem is even larger. But Andreas, another question. Like, so this is completely a different topic, but a question that we would typically be asking our guests. So what is one learning or insight that has significantly changed
0: your perspective on business and or life? Like one key learning that I have about uh, that's changed my perspective on business and and life. Obviously I could go like way off into the personal space here, but let's stick with (laughs) the professional space. It has to do with the data part. So basically the stuff that we, uh, we talked about. Also the fact that you have to come to terms with that they can't always be perfect. I think that is an important part that I would like to emphasize. Like data, like going in and thinking and like ripping out your hair because data isn't completely perfect. It's just like unachievable standards. You know, it, it can't happen. So if you can, if you can actually sometimes accept that data has, you know, small flaws, I think you can have more progress. And I think that's also very important. If that made sense to anyone listening. <laughs> because you can get too stuck in like what, going too deep into a rabbit hole of like making something perfect, and then you can skip out on all the benefits of also having progress.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying there. Like, and I think it goes for so many different things that you're trying to get past the point where ROI or however we want to phrase it on actually doing even more. It's getting to kind of a, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the English word for it, but less and less valuable. So you need to find the point where. Where is it good enough, and being fine with that—that that doesn't mean that you can just ignore it forever. It just means that this is good enough. So let's try to keep it there. Uh, and as we talked about, having different strategies for 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 maintaining it at that level, but not
0: trying to feel bad about it not being perfect. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's a very specific thing. Just like set, set put uh, put in a goal, set set a goal, and when the goal is achieved, move on.
1: Yeah, I love it. So, so Andres, where can people go to find out more about you? I know you're starting to be a little bit more active on on LinkedIn, uh,
0: but yeah, where yeah where can I, I would, find you? <laughs> yeah, so definitely LinkedIn. You can find me on. Um, that's usually my my preferred social media. I also work uh, at uh, Memory or timely, depends how you, how you look at it, as the head of uh, revenue operations. So that's kind of where you can find me in a professional context. I also do some consulting freelance on the side. Uh, if you would ever want me to kind of do something in lines of what we've talked about today, that's something I'm open for. But yeah, that's that's basically where where I'm at.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and with Timely, like it's a it's a kick-ass time logging tool, uh, right? So if you ever need any kind of uh, <laughs> yeah, time yeah. tracking or logging as
0: a consultancy, that's uh, very, very hopefully a very typical tool that everyone listening to this might be familiar with. Like making sure that you check and find those hours, those billable hours, uh, It's very important. Great. No. So thank
1: you very much for, uh, for your time today, Andres. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do a follow up in a in six month time and see if we still have any hair left or we're we just uh, too uh, deep in the world <laughs> <laughs> with the data. No, it's a frustrating and a fun endeavor, I think, in general. The, the Never ending work. is a good yeah, word. That, that's it. Like a lot of things in life, right? But that's what yeah. makes it interesting.
0: OK, thank you for having me. That was uh, was much. really fun for me as well. And could probably like, I yeah, tried to stay on topic, but probably so much stuff we could talk about. Yeah, um, but
1: that, that's the thing, it's always. And that's also why we'd rather have more sessions, potentially, than than having one. But anyways, Andreas, let's leave it at that. And uh, yeah, have a great evening. Yeah, you too. Thank you for turning into this episode of a Slice of SaaS. I hope you found Andreas' insights on data cleanup, enrichment, and streamlining operations to be valuable to you. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating so that more people can find this podcast. I really appreciate your help. Until next time.